seem to be, at first, a mundane question, and that is the existence of God. But it's an important question to answer, and that is, why should I know God if he doesn't exist, right? But we looked at the existence of God, and then we looked at the exclusiveness of God, and that is that God is God alone. And we want to bring with that concept that lends us then into the next thing of not just, is there a God, and is he the only God, but then what is this God like? Who is this God, then? Well, clearly, I believe that the only true God is the God of the Bible, the one that what we refer to as the Bible declares. I believe that he is the creator God. He is the revealing God. He is the God who has revealed himself, as we saw last week, over the last two weeks. He's the one who's revealed himself in creation. He's the one who's revealed himself in the word of God, which we refer to as the Bible. Now, I referred to at the time as that I'm presuppositional as well. Because in that, once I came to the conclusion that that God was the true God, and that this Bible was truly his word, then I've accepted the fact that that is his word. And so now it's presuppositional in that I presuppose that this is God's word. And so there's no debate for me. The baby monitor, thank you. I, I presuppose that there is no debate over whether it is his word or not. It's on two. And so, this is his word. And in his word, then, I see that God, then, didn't want to keep me in the dark, but that he wanted to reveal himself more and more to me, so that I can have this relationship with him, that I can know him. There is only so far that I can know God, as I look at the trees, as I look at the flowers, as I look at my own creative being. But God made me a cognitive human, a cognitive person. And last week we looked at that spiritual nature of man and how that decrees that there's got to be a God. But God made me a thinking being so that I can come to know him more and more. And so then as I read his word, I see how God is, if you would, made up. What God is like. Who God is. And the very first thing that I think it's important for us to consider then in all this is what we refer to as the Trinity, or I like to refer to as the triunity of God. The triunity of God. That God is both one, and yet he is three. A mind-boggling concept. One that appears to be, at face value, a contradiction of terms. I'm a math major. Artificial intelligence, computer science, I love it. But I know that one does not equal three. In fact, one plus one plus one is three. One does not equal three. And yet what seems to be in the human mindset and human logic a contradiction, such that every time you have a Jehovah Witness come to your door or a Latter-day Saint Mormon come to your door, they are going to bring up this concept as the major problem with my faith, potentially with your faith. How can one equal three? It doesn't happen. And yet this isn't a contradiction. It's what's called a paradox. A paradox is something that seems to be a contradiction and yet isn't. paradox. 
something that is probably beyond the scope of your comprehension, my comprehension. I still today, and I've been pastoring, right, full time since 1993, so that gives me what now? Going on 17 years of, of being a senior pastor, right? I still don't get it. Isn't that, that's, that's not a great thing for a pastor to, to tell you, is it? But I'm not God. It's mind-boggling to me. It's not confusing to me. It doesn't cause me to stumble. It's astounding and awesome to me how this truth can be true beyond what I can comprehend. But again, it goes because I believe that this word that we're looking at today is God's word. And that God's word is true. And so regardless of whether it's going to be my logical understanding or God's truth proclaimed, I'm always going to lean to what? God's truth proclaimed. Because if I don't get it, it's just because my understanding is darkened, shallow, or misguided. So how do we go into this? Now, quickly, we're going to look at the oneness of God. But in a sense, the oneness of God we handled as well in the exclusiveness of God, that God is the only God, that he is God and God alone. But in the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9, but specifically in verse 4, in the Hebrew it says, Shema Israel Eloheinu Yahweh, actually it says Yahweh Eloheinu Yahweh Echad. It says the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. And so the Lord is what? One Lord. He is one God. There is only one. We are monotheistic. Those who look at Christianity and they look at the triunity or the Trinitarian side of Christianity, they like to say that we are polytheistic, that we have three gods. If you talk to a Mormon or a Muslim, a Muslim is going to tell you that you have three gods. A Mormon or Jehovah Witness, if they would be truthful, if they would come out and tell you what they really believe, would say that if you believe this, that you are polytheistic, that you have three gods. But at the very core of what I believe is that God, Yahweh, that is his name, would he share to, to Moses at the burning bush, Yahweh, that is my name. I am that I am. I am the one who exists. That that Yahweh, the creator God, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who breathed the Ruach, the spirit of life into me, is one. He's a single form, a Godhead, if you would. Isaiah 45, we saw this as well last week, or two weeks ago. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I, Yahweh, and there is no other God beside me, a just God and a Savior? There is none beside me. He is the one and only true God. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4 through 6, it says, Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, or those that are claimed to be such, right? Yet there is but what? For us, one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through him, through whom we live. Ephesians 4, 
There is one body, one spirit, just as you are called, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. We have only one God. But note that I place up here as well the warning sign for us. As it is important for us to understand and heed the warnings that Scripture state as well. And here in the book of James, chapter 2, we read, You believe that there is one God? You do well. Even the devils believe in what? And tremble. The demons believe. The devils believe. And they tremble. Why? Why? If they believe that there is one God, why do they tremble? Wow, all at one time. This is great. What did you say, Steve? Because they don't worship him. What did you say, Ben? Yeah, this excludes Satan. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. As a whole, it's because they rejected the true God. They understand that there is a true God, but they rejected him. Do you remember what we looked in Romans chapter 1 about how that nature itself declares that there is a God, but man has looked at that, and they've seen that there is a God, and what may be known of God was manifest in them, but they did what with it? They denied it. They suppressed it. They held it down. They rejected it. True belief is not a belief that is located only in your brain. It is one that has captured, encapsulated your heart. It affects everything you do. Jesus said as well as John the Baptist, as well as the other um, prophets that came before, as well as Paul and Peter, one word that capsulated true belief. And that is the word metanoia. Repent. Change the way you think. Because if you really believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, what's going to happen? You're going to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus It's going to affect the way you live. It's going to affect the way you think. It's going to affect the way you speak. There's not going to be a doubt among those who are around you who you are. You're not going to just be blending with the world. Because there's going to be something different about you. You believe there's one God? Great. Big deal. It all depends on who that God is and how you really believe. I want to look now at the threeness of God because this really is the, the place that is more of the, the struggle for us. The, the, the area that secretly we all wish that we had more thus saith the Lord's on. That when that Jehovah Witness came to your door, when that Mormon came to your door, you could turn to Hezekiah 5.5 and say, look, right here, Yahweh says, yes, I am one, but I am three, and I have manifested myself in this way. But there is no passage that you can turn around and just point them to and say, look, here it is. Now, some will turn to 1 John 5, where there is a verse like that, but I want to challenge you without shaking your faith here at all that that verse was probably placed in there as a, um, a note from a scribe and then put into future um, places of manuscripts, okay? 
So you can look at that later, but in 1 John chapter 5, where it talks about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, that probably wasn't there in one of the originals. Okay? So those who you talk about will probably know this because the, the devil likes to, to place that, that information out there and feel like they, they're armed on that one. Okay? But I don't believe in the triunity of God that he is three and yet one because of one verse. I believe it because it's throughout the scriptures. And that's what we're going to look at today. No one key verse that we're going to say, wow, this is it. But we're going to be looking at a lot of verses that truly declare that though God is one, Yahweh is one, yet he has manifested himself in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So first, we see this manifested in the Word of God. Very clearly, we're looking at God's Word. We see it manifested, first of all, as the Father. Well, John 17, verses 1 to 3, we already considered that passage way back in the beginning, right? Where Jesus said, this is life eternal, that they may what? Know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Well, Jesus is, in John 17, he's praying to his Father. He refers to this God as Father. So it's a no-brainer for us to understand, for us at this moment, that God is the Father. Father is the God. That's not really the, the argument that anybody's going to have. Everybody's going to agree with that. Even in this day of pluralism, when everybody wants to say we worship the same God anyway, they're going to look at our God as who? The Father. That's exactly right. And so he's, he's the God of Abraham. And as we talked the other night, we can't go beyond that, because if we say he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob then all of a sudden the Muslims can't have the same God because he's the God of Abraham, Ishmael, right? And so, so today, the, the, the buzzword is that he is the God of who? Abraham. Because Christians, Jews, and Muslims all follow the same God then. We all have one God, and so therefore, what's the big deal? You guys are just being intolerant. You're trying to make Jesus, who is a man, a God. Well, so, so this, this is not the big deal. In John chapter 4, we saw this over the last two weeks as well. This is where God is a spirit... And, he, and those who come to him must worship him in spirit and in truth, but he's referred to as the Father. And we're told that the Father is seeking such to worship him. Isn't that interesting? The Father desires to be worshipped by those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And then finally in Matthew chapter 6, you all know that one. It's verse 9 and following. That is the one that begins with, Our Father who art in heaven, come on, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Anyway, it's a long time since I I recited that in a liturgical service. Anyways, but see, it's amazing how many of you are not liturgical, but yet you know that. you've, You've memorized that prayer, okay? It's been inculcated into you as a child. But the very beginning of it is who? Our Father. And so we understand, we acknowledge the fact that God is the Father. The Father is God. Now let's move into the ones that really are the, the ones that we debate a little bit. Turn, let's turn to John chapter 10. And let's begin looking at Jesus. Why do we believe that Jesus is God? Or a part of the Godhead? But I, I, I want to... This is where I'm going to seem like I'm speaking with forked tongue, okay? Because he is one, and yet he is what? Three. And so he's three and yet one. And so there are times I'm, I'm going to refer to Jesus as God because he is God. And yet there will be times where I refer to his part in the Godhead, which makes it appear that I'm talking that we must have what? Multiple gods. Yeah. And, and I'm not. I'm talking about the manifestations. When I talk about that Godhead, I'm talking about the manifestations of God. And so I believe that he is 
truly God. And in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 28, we read, Jesus state, in fact, let's go back for the context, start at verse 25 since you're there. He says, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe me. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give to them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now again, you can, you can quote that, but a, 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 a true Latter-day Saint or a true Jehovah Witness is going to tell you what? That they are one in purpose. They're one in purpose. Okay, That's exactly right. This is not referring to the fact that they are one and the same individual. But Jesus continues this thought in the 14th chapter um, of John where John records it. In the, the passage where he's talking about that he is going to go away and he's going to come back and, and gather them to himself, and he tells them that they know the way, right? And Philip comes back to him, to verse 8, and he says, Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's going to be sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works in themselves. And here in to me, and we're going to look at another passage or two here, that begins to describe the tension that I have in this whole concept, this meekness and majesty, this manhood and deity, in perfect harmony, the man who was God. That here is this man in the flesh talking as though he is God. But yet, as this manifestation, if you would, of God is standing there, he is truly man, but he is also truly God. It is mind-boggling for me to try to figure out how God could indwell himself in the encasing of a man. And with an attempt to try to explain a little bit, but probably not doing nothing more than muddying the water, okay? Let me, an illustration that many of you have heard, right? Me share in the past. You ready? Okay, so don't look around at anybody else. Don't say, well, what, what, what are the people who have heard this before answer? Okay. Can you see me? How, how many say you can see me? Can, you can see Bob. You're wrong. You can't. See, now you say, what? If you cut off my arms and you cut off my legs, am I still Bob? I am. If you cut off my arms, you cut off my legs, and you burn me with a fire so that my face is not recognizable, and my hair is all gone. Am I still me? I'm still me. See, because I am not what you're looking at. You, you picture me as this thing that you see, this thing that you can punch, and yes, if you punch me, I will feel it, okay? I'll get over it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will really kill me. Anyways, see, we, that's, we don't say it that way, do we? But that's really what it means. Because I live inside this tent. 
I live inside this habitation. I am only, in a sense, tabernacling here on the earth. Get it? And so I live inside here. And one day, this body that you're looking at, this tent, is going to cease to dwell on the earth. My, my machinery, if you would, bringing it down, is going to stop functioning. The oil is going to stop going through it. You know, it, my engine is going to seize up. And I'm going to keel over. But I'm not going to. My tent is. I'm going to continue to live. You can't kill me. That's a mind-boggling thought, isn't it? But isn't that exactly what Jesus told Mary and Martha? What he told Martha, he says, Do you not believe that he who believes in me, though he shall die, yet shall he live? And those who live, they shall never die? Do you believe this? You can't kill me. Because I just live inside here. Now, if I can gather that thought about just me as a human, now take that a step further of mind-bogglingness to Jesus. To God dwelling in flesh. Not saying, now hear what I'm saying now, just as if you punch me, I'm going to feel it, right? Though I'm telling you that there is this part of me who lives inside here, and when my tabernacle, when my tent goes away, I'm still going to live. And so I am, in a sense, telling you that I, I'm, you, you, would, you would almost think that I'm teaching you a dualism here, right? Between my body and, 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 and my immaterial side. And I'm not teaching you that. I am a body, soul, and a spirit. I have three parts, actually. Okay? And they're all interconnected. But I am that spirit side, that spirit soul side that's going to go on. And one day I'm going to be raptured. I'm going to be harpazoed. I'm going to be gathered up to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to be given a new body, a glorified body. What an exciting thing. One that's not tainted with sin. But even more so than comprehend that with Jesus. Somehow, in that same mind-boggling way that we can't figure out how to divide ourselves and yet connect ourselves... God dwelt in the flesh of Jesus. And so when Jesus spoke to Philip, Philip says, just show us the Father. You know, like, part open the clouds. Open up the heavens. Let us see the Father. Well, he's already taught him that what? The Father is spirit. Spirit. How do you see spirit? You know? And so he comes and he says, show us the Father and it's going to what? It'll suffice. It'll be sufficient. Hey, if we could just get a glimpse of the Father. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm what? I'm physical. I'm very here and now oriented. So this stuff looks real to me. Does it look real to you? It looks real to me. And so the fact is that Jesus then turns around and says, Philip, I've been with you. Now, this doesn't say purpose. What does he say? Show us the Father, and Jesus says, you've been with me. Do you get it? This is major. Later, and we're not going to that passage, but later when Jesus comes back, Thomas has already said what? I'm not going to believe unless I can put my fingers in his hand and I put my hand in his side, and Jesus comes to him, and what does Thomas immediately say? My Lord and my God, and Jesus says, oh, don't call me that. There's only but yet one God, and him you should worship, right? Isn't that what he told Satan? When, when Satan said, worship me, you know, and he said, oh, no, 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 no. The word says you should worship, you know, there's only one God you should worship and serve, right? 
So when Thomas calls Jesus, my Lord and my God, you would think to be consistent if he wasn't God, he would say what? Don't say that. That's exactly right. That's what the angels say. That's exactly right. But he doesn't say that. Rather, he accepts the worship. Why? Because he is the Father. Let's turn to Romans chapter 9, where Paul is talking as well. And again, there are many passages that I can go to as well to show you that Jesus prays to the Father. And, and that, that Jesus and the Father are used in the, same, um, in the same passage. And I understand that. What I'm sharing with you are clear passages, though, that reveal the deity of the manifestation of Christ. And in Romans chapter 9, beginning at verse 3, P, uh, Paul writes, For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ, for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. Of whom are the fathers, and of wh- from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came who is overall the eternally blessed God. Amen. Who does Paul declare Jesus Christ to be? The eternal God. Not just a God. See, because when we go to to John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Jehovah Witnesses will like to tell you that it's, no, no, it should say, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. The word was a God. But they go against Isaiah 43, which is where they get their name from. He says, you are my witnesses, saith Jehovah, that I am God and that there is none else. Neither There was no God before me and neither shall there be anyone created after me. And I think this is mind-boggling. So how can you say that Jesus is a God? But rather in the Greek, what it says is, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and God was the word. Not the word was God. Or you could say the word was a God, but literally it says, and God was the word. And when in the Greek that God is being used first, it's somebody's name. It's referring to a name, a person. God was the word. And then in verse 14 of John chapter 1 we read, And the word became flesh and tabernacled dwelt, but the word is for tabernacling. He tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so, the word for tabernacling in the Hebrew is Shekinah, in Chabod, and so we refer to the Shekinah glory. Have you ever heard that before? Actually, it's Shekinah Chabod. Jesus Christ, we're told, is the Shekinah Chabod of God. He is the Shekinah glory. He is the tabernacling glory of God on the earth. If you want to know what God would look like, just look at Jesus. Because we're so physically oriented, we want that. God gave it to you. It's in Jesus. But yet we do what? We battle over whether he's really God then, even though he told us he is. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Turn near with me. Second Corinthians chapter four, beginning at verse three. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, 
in ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. Now, I'd love to make a case for you, Jesus Christ the Lord, that Jesus Christ Adonai is really a statement of, that, of his deity as well. That he is Mashiach Adonai, he is Mashiach Yahweh. That um, the Lord, again, there is no, you've heard, many of you heard me talk about this, there is no bringing it over into Greek from Yahweh. And so when you see the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in the, in the Old Testament, that is the name of God, it is Yahweh. But, but it states that because of the, the, the tradition of not saying Yahweh's name, but rather they say Adonai, Adonai, so that they would not be in fear of misusing the name of God, the third commandment, right? And so they would say Adonai instead. Well, and so that comes over into English saying Lord rather than Yahweh. Whereas in, in, the, in the Old Testament, instead of that capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it should be, if you would, bringing it over Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. That's his name, right? But coming into the Greek then, they take the same thing, and there is no word, no name for Yahweh by itself, okay? We'll talk, at the very end of the service, I'm going to bring you one, okay? But there is, there is none. They use the word Kyrios, which is the translation for Adonai. And so if I wanted to say Christ is Yahweh, what would I say? Christ is Adonai, or Kyrios. So Christos Kyrios, Christ the Lord. But here we see, very clearly before that, even if without that case being made, that Christ is what? The very, what does it state there? The image of God. He is the icon of God. Let's go on, and we'll talk about this in a moment. Come back to it, okay? Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 to 11, which talks more about what I just was stating about the name. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading at verse 9 for context. Therefore God has also highly exalted him, that is Christ, and given him the name that is above every name. Note what it says. He has given him what? The name. The name, which is above every name. Well, what name is above every name? Yahweh. Yahweh is. And we see that the name of Jesus, and that's important, but Jesus got the name. It's not Joshua. See, Jesus' name, Yeshua, Comes over, it comes from the Hebrew Yeshua, Yahashua, which is Joshua. In fact, there, we had a Jesus who played Major League Baseball. Yeah? Jesus Alou. How many of you older guys know, remember Jesus Alou and his brothers Mate and Felipe, yeah? And so, you know, I like to tell people, well, Jesus played in my, Major League Baseball. Did you know that? Huh? And there's nothing special about that name, but there is something special about the name Yahweh. So he's given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those in earth and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe it's that Jesus Christ is Yahweh. Now, why do I say that? Because back in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 45, verses 22 and 23, you can check me out on this later. If you have a sermon note sheet, it's there for you. Isaiah 45, 22 to 23. This is a direct quote from the prophecy that Yahweh speaks, that Yahweh says that unto me every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So if we're told that Jesus, unto Jesus every knee is going to bow and every tongue confess, that he is Lord, Kyrios Adonai, I believe it's probably that Jesus Christ is Yahweh, that he is, he is Lord, that he is, he is God. Titus 1, 1 to 4, you don't need to turn it right now in that passage because of the sake of time, but you can check this out. In Titus 1, 1 to 4, we're told that God is called our Savior. And then in the same breath, Paul says, Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
And so he equates the titles of God with the titles of Jesus Christ. In fact, we saw last week that Yahweh says, besides him, there is no Savior. That only Yahweh himself is the true Savior. And so we're told that God, by Paul, that God is Savior and that Jesus Christ is Savior. In Acts 20, I want you to turn there and look at this because this is a great passage. I love to use this with Jehovah's Witnesses because Jehovah's Witnesses have their own version of the Bible. You understand that. Mormons use the King James Version, which is a good thing to know. Okay? But, the, but the Jehovah's Witnesses use their own version of the Bible. It's called the New World Translation. Where they, they tr- translate and interpret things however they want to. But in Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 27, Paul says to the elders of Ephesus, he says, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of who? Of God, which he purchased with what? His own blood. Whose blood? God's blood. God's blood. Now, in the New World Translation, the Jehovah's Witness Bible, they're going to have brackets. And they're going to put in that brackets, his son. <laughs> because they don't want to admit this truth. Who died? Who shed his blood? God did. Well, we know the individual who literally was on a cross and who shed his blood. And who was that? Jesus. Math, math thing here, right? One may not equal three, but I can do this kind of thing, right? I mean, if A equals B and B equals C, therefore A equals C. This is a no-brainer, right? God shed his blood, Jesus shed his blood. Therefore, God is Jesus. Jesus is God. Exciting stuff. So it's manifested in the word that the Son is God. What about the Holy Spirit? Well, while you're in the book of Acts, let's turn back to chapter 5. Again, this is another one of these A equals B and B equals C things. But in Acts chapter 5, I'll begin reading from verse 1 for the context. It says, But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira his wife sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price? Now, stop for a moment and ask yourself this question. If the Spirit of God is just a force, so when we talk about Holy Spirit, many people refer to this as the Spirit of God is just a force. It's just a a breath, the movement of God. If it is, how can you lie to it? How how can you lie to the wind? I mean, you know, you spit in the wind and and it's going to prove to you that the wind's really there, right? But you don't have conversations with the wind, at least not normally, right? And expect there to be what? Answers back. You wouldn't say that you're, you're lying to it. But here we're told, you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. I thought they said he lied to the Spirit. He lied to God. Then Ananias, hearing these things, these words, fell down and breathed his last So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. Again, who is the Holy Spirit? He is God. He is a manifestation of God. Let's turn back to to the Corinthians, the letters to the Corinthians, and here are 2 Corinthians again. 
or actually 1 Corinthians chapter 3, my, I'm sorry. All three of these passages go together, so we want to read them quickly together. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17. Paul was writing about the works in, of, of, of the believers, and he says to them in chapter 3, verse 16, he says, Do not know that you are the temple of God. Whose temple are you? God. Do you get that, again, this A equals B equals C stuff, right? So you're the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God, what? Dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Go to chapter 6. Okay, verse 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of what? The Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Then turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. In what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my, my people. Now, very clearly, and again, there are many passages that we are just sliding past. I mean, we could talk about how you, you're supposed to not quench the Spirit, right? Neither grieve the Spirit. How do you, how do you, how do you, you know, do those personality things with, with the Spirit? But the fact is that you are called to be the temple of God, and that is the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. In Galatians chapter 2, we're, set, we're told that Jesus dwells within us. Father dwells in me. Jesus dwells in me. Holy Spirit dwells in me. God dwells in me. Kind of making sense? I hope it is. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 3, while we're there in 2 Corinthians 15 to 18. We were at chapter 4 a little bit earlier, talking about the deity of Christ. Now we're talking about the deity of the, of the Holy Spirit. Where Paul says, But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns away, one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is, what? The Spirit. And where the Spirit of Yahweh is, there is liberty. And again, I think it's saying, nevertheless, when one turns to Yahweh, the veil is taken away. Now, Yahweh is the Spirit, and the Spirit of Yahweh is. Okay. And again, I can't prove that to you, because it's there. And you can, you can debate whether the Lord there is Jesus, but I think it's Yahweh. Okay? Because it's talking about Moses, and it's talking about the veil of Moses, and Moses went before Yahweh. Go ahead, Chris. I believe, I believe it is. Yes. Because the spirit of Yahweh is from Isaiah chapter 11, the sevenfold spirit of Yahweh. Okay. Oh, okay, that was it. A little L. Yeah, see. Oh, yeah, yeah, you won't read it here because it's, that's what I'm saying. It's New Testament. There is no word for Yahweh in the New Testament. They, again, in the Old Testament, um, so, for example, the Shema. Uh, Shema Israel, Eloheinu, Adonai, Eloheinu, Echad. Okay, so if I was Jewish, that's how I would say it. But note what I just said. I'm going to say it, say it slower. I know you don't know Hebrew, but I'll speak it slower, okay? Shema, here, Israel, Shema Israel, Eloheinu, your God, Adonai, the Lord, okay? Small O-R-D, Eloheinu, your God, Echad, is one, okay? What it really says in the Hebrew, Shema Israel, uh, uh, Yahweh, Eloheinu Yahweh Echad. Hero Israel, Yahweh, that's his name, not Adonai, Yahweh, Eloheinu your God, 
Yahweh, Echad, is one. Did you note the difference between what I just said? Instead of saying Yahweh twice, I said Adonai once, and I said Eloheinu twice, your God. Okay? Because for a Jew, they would not say Yahweh, because the third commandment is what? You shall not use the name of the Lord. You shall not name, use the name of Yahweh, your God, Yahweh Eloheinu, meaninglessly or in vain, because the Lord Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who misuses his name. Okay? That's the third of the quote-unquote Ten Commandments or the Ten Words of the Covenant is really what they were. Okay? And so because of that, they would then use Adonai, which is capital L or lowercase l, O-R-D. Make sense? Coming into the New Testament, you'll never see the word Yahweh. It's just not in, 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 in the Greek. There's no Greek word for it. Other than ego me, and we'll talk about that at the very end. Okay, we're going to come back. I'm going to show you a passage where Jesus basically says, if you don't believe that he's Yahweh, you're going to die in your sins. Okay? That's a powerful statement, isn't it? Uh, Tracy. In the Old Testament, you see, when you read the Old Testament, whenever you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's Yahweh. That is his name. And that's how it's brought over by the, 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 the Old Testament translators, interpreters, translators, into the English. If they were properly translating it, they would bring in Yahweh, because that is his name. In other words, if, if you saw my name, Bob, and, 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 and we were... We were I was a, it was a Croatian art, uh, article and da 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 da, but still my name is Bob, and so and so every time you saw Bob, you said, oh, but I don't want to say his name just in case he might be offended that I'm using his name, so I'm going to put dog instead. No, I mean I know I mean, I'm not talking about God there. I'm talking about Bob, so that's, you know it's not sacrilegious because it's me. Go ahead. No, no. When a Jewish person speaks... Now, this is fun. Go to a Messianic site. This is really the best place to check. If you go to a Messianic site, whenever they talk about God, they have gone so far as not to even worry about never saying Yahweh, but they'll say G hyphen D, or G under, underscore, you know, the, the, the one that's on the bottom, D. They won't even put G-O-D just in case they're using the word God in vain. And so when they say Lord, it's L hyphen R D or L underscore R D, because it, it, that's legalism, y'all. I mean, that, that is just like golly. I mean, what's in your heart? That's really the key. But they don't get the the heart thing. That Jesus was saying it's in your heart, right? They, everything is face value. That's that's out there. So, anyways, but so coming into the New Testament, you won't see that at all. It'll only be Kyrios, which is the Greek word that would translate Adonai from the Hebrew. Do you get it? So they're only going to say Adonai. They're not going to say Yahweh. Okay? But referring back, and how you can know this, is whenever there are the, for example, in the book of John. Okay? If you go to John chapter 1, you can check me out on this. You can go there now while I'm talking, or you can check me out later. It doesn't matter. And when they're quoting Jesus, or Jesus, John the Baptist, when they ask John, so who are you? Are, 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 you, are you the Christ? Are, are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Who are you? And he says, I am the voice of the one crying out of the wilderness. I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. In your English translations, 
they will have capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. There is no Greek word. It's the word kyrios. Like every place else, it's kyrios. They just understand that it is a direct prophetic quote in what it says is prepare ye the way of Yahweh. And so they, they oh, we're going to put Yahweh there. Now, I understand that because, again, what I'm saying to you is I'm interpreting, right? I'm coming with this word kyrios, which means Lord, Master. And I'm saying to you that I think this one, even though there's not a direct quote, is very clearly, like in Philippians chapter 2, that's a direct quote from Isaiah 45. That unto me every knee will bow and every tongue confess that I am Yahweh. So unto Jesus was given the name that is above every name, that unto Jesus every knee will bow and tongue confess that he is Yahweh. I think it's a no-brainer. Anyways, now you may not think that, but I do. I mean, and, and, and again, I mean, I have poured over this stuff. So I'm not saying I'm right just because I've poured over and I've said it. I mean, don't, don't go there. You have to go before the Lord and look at it. But for me, every time I talk to a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon, I go back to Isaiah 40 to 48. And what I see about Yahweh is so much all about Jesus. Everything that's stated about him is stated about Jesus. And what is stated about Jesus goes back to Isaiah 40 to 48. It's an amazing thing. And Yahweh says, I alone am God. There is no other God beside me over and over again. Remember that last week, how we looked at it five or six times within just a space of a couple chapters. Yahweh saying, I'm it. Well, if he's it, then Jesus is a hoax. Jesus is a liar. I'm not only going to not be a Christian, I'm not going to be a follower of Yahweh. Because Yahweh's a liar too. Does that make sense? I mean, it's either got to be true or a total facade. And you're all following a lie. And when you die, nothing. And so you might as well eat, drink, and be merry. Because tomorrow you're going to die. So get, get everything you can out of, the, out of life. Because if in this world only you have hope, you are of all men most miserable. Isn't that what the word says? But Jesus is God. And so you can check... Check that stuff out. In 2 Corinthians 13 as well, we see that as well. Not only though, I mean, that was Jesus, that was Holy Spirit is God there. But not only is it manifested in the Word, but it's manifested in the work of God as well. And in creation we read when, about God's creation that all parts of the Godhead, if you would, are there. Okay. And in John chapter 1 we read, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was God. In the, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through who? Who's Him? The Word, that's right. Okay? All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. But we know from Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, who breathed into man the breath of life? God did. Yahweh did. And so we're told that Jesus did it. The Word did it. In fact, we read in Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus is the image, the icon. Remember I said I wanted to come back to this word. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by Him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that, all things, that in all things he may have the preeminence. And now, I'm going there because I don't think I have it up on the slide, but I want to read to you from Colossians chapter 2 as well what it says about Jesus being in that Godhead as well. Um, if I can find it very quickly. Tell me again. Ah, thank you. That's exactly it. Okay, verse, beginning of verse 8 of chapter 2 for the context. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, 
according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, that is Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. In this very creation that we're told that all parts of the deity are there, that Jesus Christ is the fullness of the creator. God, he is the image, the icon. When you picture an icon, you picture this statue, this busk. Is that the right bust? Okay. And that usually they're hollow on the inside. Can you picture that? Kind of that, that, that picture, the form thing? Well, Jesus then, the one that you see in the, the, in, in the photographs that were taken of him, you know, that we hang on our wall. Isn't that nuts, though? What are they? They're, they're paintings that somebody thought that he might look like this. Anyways, so that's not real. And many of them are what? Anglicized. They look like English. They look like American kind of guys. He wasn't. He was a Jew. He looked more Arab than he does us, okay? Anyways, and so, but that, that being, that tabernacle was the icon. He was the image of the invisible God. Brooke? Galatians 2.9, or I'm sorry, Colossians 2.9. That in him the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily. It was like God was poured into this form that we call Jesus. And yet, there's no dichotomy there. There's no dualism happening there. Jesus was tempted in every way, such as we are, yet he was what? Without sin. It's mind-boggling. It's, 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 I hope it's mind-boggling. Listen, God ought to be mind-boggling to you. If you can put God in the box and you ever understand everything about God, then what? You're bigger than God. <laughs> Get it? I mean, it's just, it's, I, I just, it's, it just blows my mind when people tell me that at the door. You know, when they come to the door, it's like, well, you need to know. No, man, I don't need to know because I'm not God. You know, when I get there, I'm going to spend eternity still learning about them. This is going to be an awesome thing. I feel bad for you that you got your little God in your little box and you take him for a walk. I mean, I don't get it, you know. Anyways, Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. The darkness was on the face of the deep. And who hovered over the days? The Spirit of God. He was there as well, right? And then we know from this is that God said what? Let us, no, wait, let us make man, I'm sorry, I, I'm skipping way up ahead, but let us make man in our image. There's a plurality of God that's there as well. Amazing. Okay, in salvation, we've got to fly along. We read earlier Ephesians chapter 1, 1 to 14, that was part of our, our reading this morning, and I don't want to go there right now because of the sake of time. We still want to have some time for the Lord's table and spend time, focus on that. But very clearly in Ephesians chapter 1, we're told that Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, even as he has chosen us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself. And so the Father is the one who from the beginning has, has ordained this part of salvation. But he ordained this part of salvation by knowing that he was going to send part of himself before the foundations of the world were laid, Christ Jesus died for us, which means that Christ was been eternal as well. He was before the foundations of the world, right? And so, so the Father comes up with the plan the Son comes and fulfills it, and then we're told that in whom you also trusted, after that you heard this, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. And so you have the Holy Spirit now who's going to dwell within you. So all three parts of the deity, all three parts of the Godhead are a part of your salvation process. 
In fact, we're told that the Holy Spirit was going to come to point you to Jesus, and Jesus' job was to point you to the Father. And yet, the three are yet one. We read in 1 Peter 1, verses 1 and 2, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, right, the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. So, again, you have who? God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son, all being a part of your salvation process. So they're there in creation, they're there in salvation. But we are, Second Thessalonians 2, we're bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit in belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. All, again, three parts of the Godhead. Now, finally, in the ministry of the body, we see the manifestation of the deity, of the triunity of God being manifested. We're told in Ephesians chapter 4, we read this earlier, talking about one God, but note as well what it says about the rest of us. There is one body, one spirit, note the spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, who is that? Jesus Christ, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through through all and in you all. And so all three parts of the the Godhead are a part of the ministry of the body. And we see that very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when it talks about the the spiritual gifts. Where we're told that there is this um, parallelism that's going on from verses 4 through 6. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Now get that. What is Paul stating? They're all God. In fact, earlier in chapter 12, Paul says that no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by what? The Spirit. I believe, again, that's another place where Paul says no one can say that Jesus is Yahweh except by the Spirit of God. What's being stated here? Because it goes, follows on. He talks about the Spirit, he talks about the Lord, and he says, but it's all the what? It's all one God. It's all the same God who does this stuff. I mean, if, it wasn't, if they all weren't part of the same deity, he couldn't say that. Because they all have a different function going on. But it's all the same. So, in all this, I want to remind about the, the two things I said as far as application as we go through this, about how this will affect my worship of God and how this should affect my reflection of God. The more we know God, the more we'll desire to worship Him. The complexity of the composition of God, His triunity, is not confusing but astounding. Is it that to you? Are you willing to embrace what God has revealed in His Word? The more we know God, the more we'll desire to reflect Him. As you study this stuff, as you see His profoundness, do you have a greater desire to give him glory in this world? To stand up in the face of those who don't want to hear it? To give God glory for who he is. When that Jehovah Witness comes to your door, when that Mormon comes to your door, instead of shutting the door in their face, praise God, I want to share with you why I know, not why I believe, but why I know that Jesus is Yahweh, that he is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, and that God has manifested himself as three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But you know what happens when every time you close the door and you don't want to engage them? 
They turn around. There's a trainer and a trainee. And the trainer turns to the trainee and says, see, they don't know. They're in darkness. And we have the light. And they're not willing to listen. You know what the shame is? They're in darkness. And you got the light. And you shut the light off. God brought darkness to your door to have the light shine. And you said, I'm not willing. I want to keep the light for myself. What good's the light if it's not to shine to others? What good is it if you put it under a bushel? But rather, Jesus said, let your light so shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Do you believe in God as presented in the Scriptures? In John chapter 8, verse 24, Jesus states this. He says, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Now, I, I, I unitalicize this and everything. But if you look in your Bible, if you have a King James, New King James, New American Standard, a literal version of the Bible, okay, um, then in the literal versions of the Bible, they will italicize words that they did not, that were not there in the original, that they just kind of slid in because they thought it would help for the meaning and the rendering of the sentence. The word he is not there in the Greek. So let's read this again. Jesus said, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Now, later in that chapter, at the very end, he says before Abraham was, I am. And they didn't put I am he there. They leave it. And everybody understands that that's a reference to him declaring himself as Yahweh. He doesn't say Yahweh. He says, Ego me. Ego is I. Ami is I am. I am I am. There is no reason for him to say Ego me. He could have just said Ami. I am he. He could have said Ami and then Hutos. Altos. I am he. I am the one. I am the same. He didn't say that. He says before... He says that unless you believe that I am, you're going to die in your sins. Believing in the triunity of God is critical, I believe, to your salvation. If you're here today and you honestly have never, as I said earlier, have given your heart to Jesus Christ, if you have never believed in God according to what God has said in His Word, today's the day of your salvation. As we saw in Sunday school with how the in the days of Nehemiah, and they read the word, they began to weep, and they began to respond because they saw what God's word said. I don't give invitations. I don't call you forward. It's, it's, it's not for me. It's between you and God. If you know it's true, then it's time for you to respond. Let's take some time to prepare ourselves um, for communion. We're going to slide into communion. We're going to skip past that, 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 that song. And, um, I'll come up in a moment, and I'm going to close.